Welcome back to another episode of the Exterminatus Podcast, all things competitive in the world of Warhammer 40,000. I hope you're seated comfortably in a safe position because this show is going to get pretty crazy. It is our LVO preview edition. My name's Eric. With me is my co-host, Robert. Hello. And we are here. We've got all kinds of great news to go over. It is a very interesting time in our season because not only is it the culmination of the 20. 21 season but it's also the start of the 2022 season at the very same time and normally there's kind of this odd pause when uh, the season begins and you a new meta kind of shapes up a little bit that is not the case because coming out this saturday by saturday by so by the time you hear our this recording you'll probably be on your way to lvo and seeing the first round of the previews from games workshop but also the first round pairings but also the saturday Chapter approved 2022 with all the new missions will be available for purchase. So a lot going on this particular week. So let's dive into it. Let's first talk about LVO itself. Uh, a few updates to the player packet uh, announced today. Yep. So it from what I'm able to tell the difference, they changed around some of the terrain stuff. I don't know if it was mainly just keywords or they introduced other types of terrain because they still have the good old orc table, the Gothic ruins, the field base, the industrial table, the, um, the kind of foresty table. And then a table that looks almost like the forest table where it's all green and stuff, but it's more actual city and clean. Then they have an urban table, which has a couple of big L's and a whole, couple of big boxes and then they have a whole bunch of terrain with tau markers on it i don't want to play on the table because it's tau but that's just a bias and then they have a necron table and i mean in my experience i haven't been to an lvo yet with this many kinds of tables so it's honestly hard for me to tell the difference between what they changed aside from maybe a keyword or two yeah, there's a lot of variety, which is interesting. I think that's a a good improvement over where it was, say, two LVOs ago. I don't want to say two years ago, because that was only, I think, one tournament ago. Because it was only like, there was like three flavors. There was like the Necron table, the Gothic table, and the uh, Gothic table in the jungle. So it was, now that they have a couple more variations, uh, it does seem a little more exciting. I agree with you. I don't know... I don't have a favorite in terms of this is the table I prefer. I don't have a, a, a preferred. There's certainly some tables I'm kind of like, uh, you know, how do I plan for this? Mm-hmm. And again, I will make the same criticism I made to Frontline Gaming last time, last LVO. They did something similar with their terrain. Um, is it a good thing or a bad thing? Isn't the issue. Why are you telling me this now? <laughs> yeah. And also when I look over the terrain screens... Um, there's one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Some of the terrain layouts, like, um, the, um, old champs too. So the not covered in moss Gothic table, mm-hmm. um, only has a total of nine pieces of terrain on it. Cause one of them is slapped in the middle, just like the orc table. And then the urban table, the interstellar and the robot city tables, all have a centerpiece of terrain, which I know in their other rules, that centerpiece doesn't get moved. Yeah, I'm, 
trying to remember, did they, you move the objective instead to one side? Is that what their game plan was? Um, no, I think in the case of someone of something where they have an objective in the middle of the table, the terrain in the middle does get moved over in some direction. The direction I'm not sure of, but it's still the fact that they have four different tables or like four or five different tables with a piece right smack dab in the middle. Yeah. It's my frustration is it's, um, it would, this is something you definitely need to practice, uh, leading up to the event. I was actually practicing quite a bit of player place terrain, just not even with an opponent, just, okay. Yeah. Set the clock for 10 minutes. How, you know, put the terrain down. Actually, I think it was setting it for like five minutes because 10 minutes for both players and just practicing and see how that would look and then try to deploy my army around it and then to switch it up something like this. And so I don't know if this was a ploy to make sure I sign up for the Vanguard tactics uh, lesson. Um, I don't know. It was just, it's just very frustrating. They did this two years ago. They changed some of the terrain rules um, in the player packet. I'm like, army lists are already in, you know, even if I mm-hmm. was, and it had the means and all that where I can just go onto their website and order it. And that's the other thing I'm a little annoyed with as well, by the way. Um, if you wanted to practice with this, you had to kind of wing it because that Tau terrain has been out of stock for six months. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time I've ever seen it. I've seen it before. Um, I know the Orc stuff may just recently come back in this play, I think. And I don't know. It's just one of those... If you're going to hold me accountable for getting stuff in on time as a tournament organizer, you got to be equally uh, responsible to your players. Yeah. The other, um, the one piece of terrain that I know some of our local players here, um, mainly a certain person named Aaron, doesn't like the aircraft hangar, that good old like 24 inch box. Oh, I don't like that either. Yeah. I'm pretty sure no one does. No. But not that one. I'm. It is visible that it is not partaking in this event because having that kind of thing in the middle of the table would just be dumb. Oh, I can I can tell you exactly what happened last time I played on that table. My opponent was a Necron player, and he put all his tomb blades on the top floor. <laughs> and he sat there. Okay, I have line of sight to everywhere on the board, and you can't reach me because there's no way to be able to place a model in assault to get up there. Oh, yeah, because I keep on thinking the aircraft hangar is shorter than it is, because I've only seen it maybe twice. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a less than fun game. And it's just stupid interactions like that where I'm just like, uh, I don't know. I just, it just frustrates me um, to no end when I see stuff like that. But in the interim, um, I'm also very curious uh, to hear about the new venue. So it sounds like it is well set up for because I've had several esports there in the past, and uh, so it should be interesting to see an event that's really well set up for this particular event. Also, curious to see just not from a um, more of a curiosity standpoint and understanding is what the final numbers are going to be. Because logging in today, I was trying to figure out what the most played factions were going to be at this year's event, and there are 450 um, players with no faction listed. So, I'm like, hmm, what's going on there? Yeah, that one, um, I honestly, when I initially clicked on it to see how many people were also there, it looked like there was still 700-some players there. But that just says how many 
tickets available, but also said sold out. So I'm not sure how to read that. Right. But um, overall, this is still going to be the be all end all of events for this season. So if you chose not to go, then that was your choice. Cause obviously health and safety and also just time available. So I know for most of us, we've had this planned out for at least six months or even longer at this point. But uh, yeah, so it should be a good event. I'm also curious to see how many of the foreign players are able to get in to the United States and um, mm-hmm. are willing to make the trip. There's a lot more involved in making that trip. So that was something really, it's one of the things I really liked about the event is you start to see these um, top players, you know, I wouldn't say characters, but some of them are, you know, very entertaining. You know, you hear about some of like the top Australian players and top English players, and there's also this whole meta out of Spain, and it, it's one of the few events where they all are in the same room, and it's just really cool to watch. So, yeah, like um, going through some of the names that I know of, um, are our old guest, um, Jim Vessel, still says he's checked in, so he might be taking the trip down to here, um. The Glacial Geek Phil is also still planning on being there. Um, one person that I was excited to meet, but because of other restrictions, our our friend Scary isn't going to make it down from Canada. So, yeah. And unfortunately, I'm I'm, I'm going to be just like Scary, and uh, I'm going to be able to make it as well. So last week we did not have an episode. Uh, that's because, yep. Um, Tested positive for COVID. That's actually both of us did. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, so and, and yeah. Sadly, you have other obligations. I I do not. <laughs> so yeah. So just one of those awkwardness. I'm like, yep. Sorry, I was unavailable for five days. So I'm going to run away for four days and play with toy soldiers. <laughs> so I'll be gone for nine days now. Sorry. Uh, yeah, this was not the responsible thing to do. So I was pretty upset. Um, but uh, I'll be following it from here and um, looking, enjoying really also the uh, live stream. I was just looking forward to that. Looks like they're going to have the same crew as in the past with uh, Nick Nadavati and uh, Paul Murphy doing a lot of the work there. And it looks like probably these uh, FLG team will also have their own streaming. So I'd be curious to see how that all turns out. But uh, Robert, you'll be the man on the floor telling us all about what's, what's going on there. Yep. If I, if I could constantly record games, I would, but I would need at least like 13 battery packs. <laughs> um, but yes, if I, uh, it's, a little not so secret of mine, but I would like to end up on stream. I know the first few rounds are a, you can volunteer to be, or they pick at random or something like that. But otherwise, um, yeah, no, I would like to be on stream. Hopefully for LVO, I think it'd be a, a fun time and quite the entrance. <laughs> yes. I, 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 we did uh, that streaming tournament with during uh, COVID for our team here with Smite club. And, uh, that was nerve wracking to be honest, to be on stream. So yeah, I, I just felt like, you know, just, you know, make sure I don't make a mistake or who's, you know, looking over my shoulder, try not to pick your nose, you know, little stuff like that. You know, it's just like, ah! um, <laughs> but yeah, to stay on that topic of LVO, if you do end up being on stream, um, just take a few breaths, focus, 
it, it is obviously something that isn't very normal, but it still can be fun if you're not focusing on the fact that there's a camera above you and people are trying to shout cast what you're doing and what you're making dice roll for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, just enjoy the game, play your game first and then let people watch them in second. So, yeah. So no, it should be pretty exciting. Uh, also mentioned uh, James Workshop, uh, not James Workshop. So it'd be funny if he's there though. That'd be cool though. I, I've, when he first came out, I thought he was ridiculous, but now I, I cannot get enough of James Workshop. I think he is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it, he, he makes up for some of the things that we've had to deal with this year. Yes. So supposedly this Thursday, so it'll be 10 o'clock local time in uh, Vegas, they will be unveiling their um, another one of their typical previews, which... Uh, in-person previews we haven't had one in several years so looking forward to it so it's not going to be just uh the two guys in their uh, apartments uh recording with somebody back in gw they're actually going to be doing that so apparently more reveals which i'm pretty excited about considering how much they've already shown off this last three weeks (laughs) yeah the the big thing is is that they were it was a you had to buy a ticket to get into the preview so it wasn't just a, oh, you show up and do it. It's No, you had to be in there, and you're not allowed to take photos. You're not allowed to record, that kind of stuff. So if you're there, it's in your brain, in your eyeballs. That's all you got. Yeah. So, And the good news is, is the Warhammer community usually puts it out pretty quick um, right after the announcement. Yeah, we all know someone is going to record it anyway. <laughs> they're usually they're pretty strict about it, and honestly... I haven't been to any of the newer ones. The last one I went to was, uh, give you an idea how old it was. Gav Thorpe was running the event. <laughs> that, that's a familiar name from the luck library. I think Exactly. He was still a game designer at that point. He was writing codices back then. So that's giving you an idea how long ago that was. And, um, so they're fun to be at, but, uh, I don't think it was a be all end all, but it should be, I'm just more excited. What are they going to reveal? So, previous ones that's when we saw the obliterators and the venom crawler um we've already seen uh, new dark reapers for eldar we've saw new scouts already and then we also saw uh the new warlock was announced today so the rest of the eldar line maybe (laughs) who knows um well seeing as they're doing eldar through the warhammer community pages this is me going out on a limb here. I think the reveal this time around is once again going to be chaos. And they're going to do some kind of sequence of you have one wound. Now you have two. <laughs> and and show off their codex and what day it comes out. I hope so. I mean, so needed would just change the, the whole fabric of the game right now. That'd be a lot of fun to see. Yeah. I'm pretty sure you could hear it out through the entire casino. So yeah, this big cheer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be well-deserved. They've been waiting for how long now? Oh, it's ridiculous. I also am intrigued because there's some uh, artwork and in the past it's been fairly reliable, but uh, initially when we saw some of those super close-up previews, we thought we saw a new chaos night. Now the thinking is it might be something a little smaller, something like a um, 
It's blanked on the name. The like armature size? Even smaller. The who's the character that's on the he it looks like a giant spider and he rolls around beating the crap out of it. Oh, the the Lord Discordant. There we go. I couldn't think of his name, sorry. So of like a, a different Lord Discordant we've heard rumors of, a totally redesigned defiler that actually makes sense with the rolls. So because of the, the nonsense of its legs in the hull and it doesn't have a base and all that sort of thing. So all kinds mm-hmm. of weird um, ideas have been popping up over the last few weeks. So I'm very curious to see if that's addressed as well. And um, and of course, we really don't know what the next codex is after Tau. So yeah, because they keep talking about Eldar, and the more they preview it, well, the the Eldar previews can go on for forever. So I'd expect Eldar to be out sometime in like April or May. They they need something in between that, which. They could very well show off Chaos Space Marines or even demons. Like, mm. but now at that point, um, I, I'm excited for the preview just being existing because I get to be in the same area as that hype, even though I don't have a ticket. And we all know that everyone that sees it is going to talk about it the oh, next yeah. day. Yeah, having everybody there at the ne- at the nexus of what, the big announcement, it's going to be great having all that conversation. So. Yeah. Um, but otherwise, I know there was one thing that came out in the that's coming out in the next chapter, probably, Varric. It's mm. the the um, guess the sub faction stuff. The sub-faction stuff. This is an interesting change. This is one of those you think, was this something they meant to do it all along and somehow slip through the core rulebook? But it's an interesting change. And um, so you could probably explain it better than I can. So the for those of you that are unfamiliar with list building, um, when you make a detachment, in order to have units exist inside of the same detachment, they have to share at least two keywords. So like Imperium and Adeptus Astartes, for instance. At that point, you could have two units exist inside that detachment and not break your Battleforge bonus. But then at that point, you can have, oh, I have a Space Marines detachment and this captain is from White Scars. This guy's from Iron Warriors. Like you can mix and match your sub factions to try and get different buffs. Well, the supposed thing that is coming out in Chapter Approve is you only get one sub faction for your entire army. So no more mixing a detachment of Blood Angels and Imperial Fists. No more mixing Death Skulls with Freebooters. No more mixing. Um, Cult of Strife with Cabal of the Blackheart. You Ooh. either get one uh, hold or on. the other, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's Close. that's the way I think it's explained. For Drukari, that might be a little different yeah. because it is two very different things. But for Orcs, it would definitely make sense. You can't yes. have Death Skulls with Freebooters. Right. So that's a big one. Addback takes another uh, punch to the chin. You can't mix Lucius with Mars, for example, anymore. Tyranids uh, also get a hit. You can't mix Leviathan with Kronos, so you have to hope that some of these support sub factions are going to get strengthened when their books come out that they can stand on themselves. So those are key yeah. there. 
The Jakari one, it hasn't been explained officially by GW, but the general wisdom is this. You replace uh, your sub-faction, but it's Cabal is one sub-faction, the Cult is a second sub-faction, and the Coven is a third. You can't have like multiple Covens. So, for example, you could not do Artists of the Flesh and then take the Dark Technomancer in the second detachment. That would be verboten. Oh, okay. That makes a little more yeah. sense. Because, yeah, if you were stuck with just Cult of Strife or like Poison Tongue or whatever, right. like two different Witch Cults, at that point you would lose like two-thirds of the entire Codex. Yeah. So you are going to lose, for example, Takari players... Um, you're going to lose like the double trueborns, the double master succubus, and those sort of things because you can't take two of the same. Honestly, they're one of the armies that's <laughs> it's already bad enough that they're pretty much top of the heap, but they're almost completely unfazed by this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like right now with thick city running around, you just are they using prophets of flesh or are they using something else for the um. There, it's one of the custom covens. I forgot the exact fluff name, but it's uh, a minus one damage reduction. That's what makes it our army okay. go. So yeah, no, like you just go, okay, I this entire coven is this, mm-hmm. and you just don't care. <laughs> uh, um, apparently, sisters of battle. Some of their um, current top builds are going to get messed up because they usually mix two um, orders of sisters. I'm. I think it was Bloody Rose, and I forgot what the other one was. So now um, it's usually one. either, yeah, it's like Bloody Rose plus Valorous Heart or Armored Lady or something like that. Yeah, something like that. But um, yeah, no, that's going to really, really hurt because now you would have to dedicate your Seraphim and Zephyrim into either the optimal thing, which is Bloody Rose for them, or put them into something else and have them just be bonus units for your game plan, I guess. Now, speaking of the previews, we were joking about, it'd be nice to see some Chaos um, previews, whether it be Demons or Chaos Space Marines. They're the ones I'm thoroughly confused on, because uh, they they made it, for example, you can mix and match your marks, so you can have Mark of Corn, Mark of Slanesh in the same army, and it doesn't mess things up. So the same Demonic Allegiance and the same marks, but I guess... You can't mix Black Legion and Alpha Legion in the same army anymore, which I think is odd because isn't that that's what makes chaos work? <laughs> yeah, like it's it, it's definitely a head scratcher for chaos because chaos is the epitome of a soup army. Like you bring a detachment of X thing so that it can do this thing, and then you cover that with the other legion to do this thing. So for them allowing different chaos marks to exist, but you can't, but they all have to be night lords or iron warriors or emperor's children or whatever. I think that's, they're trying to conform it into a cookie cutter and it's awkward. Yeah. The other one I'm looking at is both craft world and astromilitarum. So they both have sort of these weird, they were once their own codex, they're not their own codex, they got rolled into one big codex, so for specifically for Astrobilitarum, you have Scions, there's different orders of Scions, but they're always they're different from the regimental um, doctrines, and same thing now that Harlequins are being rolled into the Craft World codex, 
do the masks go away? So we've seen our last soaring spite army, uh, or does it have to match uh, one of the Eldar craft worlds? I'm very confused. How's that all going to work? <laughs> yeah, that's actually a point I didn't even think about because, yeah, the the craft world book is technically going to have three armies in it because yeah, Harlequins, regular craft worlds, and then Yanari. Well, four. How do you yeah, count Corsairs? That's a fourth. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Corsairs are a thing again. Um, and yeah, no. And my my big oof is <laughs> demons. Demons do not have enough units to go. Oh yeah, no, I'm going to play only corn or only Nurgle. But I mean, at that point, it's they already marked it out. Like, yeah, no, here's your allegiance to. X thing, because Bellacor is a undivided chaos god, so you should be able to take all demons in a Bellacor army, right? But I'm curious to see again. You know, one thing I'm also trying to figure out is: to, will Chaos Space Marines be able to have like would be like Gene Sealer Cult, where they have you've got your Gene Sealer Cult detachment, and you've got an attachment to Brood Brothers, so you would have your Chaos Space Marine detachment and a Demon detachment in the same army without any ill effects? Or are they going to say, if you want Demons, you play Demons, but if you're playing Chaos Space Marines, you're going to have to summon them all in. I'm like, oh. So, yeah, that would be um, not a fun time, because you would have your character's head pop open, probably like Three out of five times. You have to review this. How many rules, to be honest with you? I know world bearers are better at it than most, and there's ways to do it, but I'm like... Yeah, it's... like I know it's you can change the number of dice to summon, and then if you roll doubles or triples, it's like a number of mortal wounds to your character or something. Yeah. But it all has to, it has to cover your um the summon unit's power level, I think. Just being able to decide, okay... Th- Here's my army, and then here's my entire box of every demon model I own. So when I summon, I will pre- I'll be perfectly prepared for any situation. And being, I mean, I would have to sit there with this giant flow chart and be like, who am I playing? All right, I have this on the table. I need to be summoning this demon. <laughs> that is way too much work for me. <laughs> I don't think I could ever get that matchup right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it would be like, okay, I'm going up against Space Wolves. I need to summon Plague Bearers. No, that was the wrong choice. I need to summon Blood Letters. But you're right. Is it, so do I take Blood Letters or do I take Blood Crushers because they're faster? You know, I, I don't know because you can mix it. I have no idea. And it's, uh... Well, we'll probably see updated summoning rules in either Demons or or Chaos Space Marines, specifically for this reason. <laughs> well, it's funny you read my mind, because that was something I ran by uh, Ray, because in Age of Sigmar, they totally revamped the summoning rules, and now you you basically have flat packages of um, you either summon 10 of these, 5 of those, or 8 of the, you know, this type of demon. Whereas in the current thing, you roll the dice, and then you you can pick a unit as long as their power levels below the dice you rolled, out they come. So you might be like, yeah, I'm hoping to bring out 20 blood letters. Roll the dice. All right, I'm bringing out 16. So 16 times this is how many points I have left for the next time I sum up. It just looks ridiculously complicated, so I'd be curious to see how they mm-hmm. do it. 
Yeah, no, the, the AOS summoning mechanics for things like Disciples of Zinch and Blades of Corn is honestly very nice because it's a you get the points by doing X thing and then you spend points to do Y things. Um, some summoning mechanics are better than others, but otherwise, I think that might be the direction that they take mm. Chaos Space Marines and Demons. The old Demon Kid rolls were fun too. I did like that. So, fortunately, they only came yeah. out with the corn version. They never came out with the other three. So, we'll see what happens. Because, uh, I mean, Thousand Sons and Death Guard were basically the Demon Kin books, I guess. Yeah. Oh, it's brought up the yeah, Thousand Sons is another army that gets a little uh, hampered by this new sub faction role. You cannot mix uh, cabals. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. You either all duplicity or whatever. Like they have really fun f- fruit fruity names for their subfactions. Yeah. So so anyway, yeah. So we're curious to see how that uh, affects some of the playlists. Uh, there's also a lot of reviews already coming out about the new packet. We're going to save that for your future episode because right now we're trying to focus on uh, the games we've got to play in the next uh, four or five days. And uh, before we dive into the new mission pack. So, but uh, very interesting stuff coming out already, and um, I can't wait to try some of those new missions. There's some nice little tweaks. Are you a gamer that has more bare plastic than you have time to paint? Do paintbrushes spontaneously combust when you hold them? If either of these is true, contact White Crow Studios and get your models painted by a college-trained professional painter. You can contact Bo at whitecrow.commissions at gmail.com and view his previously painted models at White Crow Studios on Facebook. Yeah, the um, the one thing that I will talk about the from the new book is the I don't know if it's just for one mission or if it's the entirety of how they change what secondaries you're allowed to take. Because mm. right now, the fact that you can pick and pull any secondaries you want, as long as they're not two from the same category, and they're not from the same book which I actually just realized I oops today. Mm. I had a game with custodes and I couldn't think of a third secondary. So it was like, eh, that one's not in a category. I'll guess I'll take it. And yeah, no, I oops. Oh, I would have gotten the same amount of points by doing stranglehold anyway. If you do. Um, the, the change is like how I mentioned, you can only take one secondary from any faction book. The other two have to be from the GT book itself. Which is funny because I thought that was the rule. <laughs> there was a, this was a huge change. Like I've been playing it that way all along. Was I wrong all this time? <laughs> it, I, I think it's because of the fact that armies like Drukhari, Custodes, Orcs, they only have one table of secondaries to pick from. Whereas you go to something like Space Marines where they have the generic space marine secondaries and then the sub-faction specific secondaries. Uh, maybe that's where I was. I so just, like, go ahead, sorry. No, I was just like, I, well, maybe I'm the one who was wrong. Okay, who knew? Yeah, you're right. I forgot yeah. about the sub-faction stuff. Yep. Yeah, because like Dark Angels um, take um, Stubborn Defiance and then depending on the mission they could go, oh, I'm going to take Oath of Moment. Yep. Meh. So, yep. So yeah, that'd be interesting to see with that change, and also the 
the added secondary that was baked into every mission is gone. It's now part of the primary. So you have a lot more. So the primaries of the dominate and taken hold are now all worth uh, four, eight, and 12 points for hold one, hold two, hold more, or hold two, hold three, hold more, depending on which one you're playing. And then the second one is that it's added into your primary points. So that should be interesting. So for example, vital mm -hmm. intelligence, they, the newer version is pretty similar and it's unchanged. All those vital intelligence points would go to your primary. So you still, so yeah, if you were struggling for a third secondary, you're really struggling for a third secondary now. Yeah. But at that point, it, it is nice to actually see that they're going, that they realize um, factions being able to take up to two auto include secondaries from their faction books and one from the actual GT book would give people free high point scores. Like it's, it's nice to see that they went, yeah, no, we're, we're going to fix this issue. No, it's because, yeah, because um, you would run to some instances where your, your auto take secondaries were Octarius data and engage in all fronts. Okay. You, you lose three points. So I just need to get 15 on my third secondary and max my primary and I'll get a score of 97. Right. Yeah. Hopefully those days are, are gone. You know, get rid of that. The other thing I thought was interesting in those missions is the lot more action on action. Um, mm -hmm. There was one that was taken from the uh, tactical deployment book where you and your opponent are equally trying to use actions to plant bobs in the neural deployment zone and at the same time using actions to defuse the bombs they've already planted. I must have missed that article because that sounds like really, really fun. Yeah. <laughs> It was very, well, I don't have a whole lot of details, but basically uh, you have the option to, you have two new actions, either to plant a bomb and you go, you do that in your opponent's deployment zone. And then your opponent has a chance to, oh crap. So then you put this little marker down and then I let me get over there. Let's defuse this bomb before something happens. And I believe at the end of the game, you can't know how many bombs weren't, are still left on the table. That's how many points you get. And it's something pretty swingy. So it's one of those, one like, like four points per bob or something ridiculous like that. It was like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like really, really neat because of the fact that it forces you to actually go out of your way to go, okay, I need to do this thing because he did that and lose resources on this because of whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, the whole action thing is, it was a great idea, and we've seen it in other game, other game systems, and all of a sudden it's becoming, I have to do a lot of actions, which means I'm not doing as much shooting as I anticipated. Or maybe it's a ploy for other armies where they're like, I've got more action monkeys than you do. You can't shoot all of us. Yeah, the um, like for my custodes, for instance, I could elect to put 120 points elsewhere and not worry about actions, or I can take 120 points and pay for two units of prosecutors, so that way I have okay, I have two units of action monkeys, right? And now at at this point, it's going to be a all right, cool. 
I won't have, I'll have specific actions that I want to do. I'm not going to have to worry about needing to do them with random things because I don't have three action secondaries. Let's see if I can find it. I'm about to say, um, cause I know going through the, the article where it talks about the, um, the sub faction restrictions. Yep. They also talk about, um, how in the new GT book, there's actually secondaries in the book specifically tied to armies. So like if you don't want to pick one of your secondaries from the codex, you can look at the one that's in the GT book and go, Oh, I'm going to do that one instead. Cause like the example that they show is for Astro Militarum, where you score one victory point at the end of each battle round for each enemy unit that was destroyed during the battle, well, during that battle round, by an Astro Militarum unit from your army up to a maximum of three points per round. Right. So that's a nice boon for books, for armies that don't have their ninth edition books yet. Some would seem a little stronger than others. I know the Demon one was kind of meh. I was, it's you get bonus points for causing. Uh, morale failures, and uh, and if they caught if they fail the morale test, if you kill that unit, you get bonus points. It's kind of like eh, eh, okay, but uh, the Astromilitaro one was really strong. I remember that. Yeah, I honestly didn't look at most of the mission specific secondaries because of the fact that I was <laughs> and still am focused on finishing my painting because. Yeah, no. Painting is stressful. Yeah. <laughs> so before I forget, the, the mission I was trying to describe poorly is called Tear Down Their Idols. Their Icons, excuse me. So it is their primary uh, brighter targets diagonal deployment and take and hold sco- scoring. And the most unique and hilarious alternating primary scoring. In each turn, one of your units can perform an action to plant a bomb in the opponent's half of the board, creating a special objective marker. And one of your units can defuse a bomb in your half of the board if any have been planted. At the end of the battle, if you get four points, you get four points for each bomb that detonates uh, in your, their half of the table. Hmm. Yeah, I'm like, whoa, that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's that's actually super interactive. Cause at that point, the only question I would have is what would be like the disarming range? Because at that point, if you can just perform an action with a unit that's all the way in the back of the table and it spawns an objective marker. I that that'd be my only issue. Yeah, I have to I mean obviously we need a little more details. I'm assuming that planting the bomb will be within one. So you have to be in the opponent's deployment zone to plant it. And you'd have to be within, since it's a special objective, they use that term. You have to be within three inches to defuse it, is what I'm guessing. Yeah, that would be a pretty fair assumption. Yeah. I played something similar to this in Infinity uh, when I went to a one, my, my one and only Infinity tournament. And... Um, I kind of it was kind of like you're dueling Obi Wan Kenobi's. So 
there were six objectives and then you had to send your guy over and either turn on the tractor beam or turn off the tractor beam. And it was kind of cool because they actually had these, um, they had like LEDs set up. So like if you turned, if one of the objectives was in your favor, Robert, they could change it to color blue. And then if I came over and turned it off and turned it into my favorite, turn it to red. So you always knew what the score was. It was kind of neat. Yeah. The, I actually, side tangent i actually got to try infinity the other day and the way they they mess with objectives is actually something that would be really neat because you had to be basically within an inch of an objective marker to mess with it so yeah there's some definitely some good ideas in that game there's a couple that i kind of go oh, oh, oh i'm not sure about that but <laughs> but i mean overall 40k is still uh easy a much more approachable game because the the rules aren't as there's not as many of them directly in your face until you deep dive into the game a little bit. Yeah. No, there's quite a bit. There's, but there's definitely between that. And I remember the old steamroller mission pack from war machine. There's some really good mission ideas. They had a couple, a lot of stuff where you're destroying objectives. You get more points for, so it was like a one-time scoring type thing as opposed to, I hold it for the whole game. So that was a neat, uh, asset as well but um yeah so we can really care so once we get our hands on this book um both of us have pre-ordered our copy so we should be getting those for our next show and we're going over that in greater detail at that time but it is that time where we talk who's going to win the lvo as well as the itc so to give you an idea where we are since our last show there's been a major update all the scores are in uh, if you have a score uh, still pending out there from a tournament, sorry, <laughs> it's been lost to the warp. And all scoring changes were due uh, last week. And so these are the going into LVO. Your top 10 looks something like this. In 10th place, Greg Chamberlain. He's 159 points behind the leader. Ninth place, Nick Nadavadi. Eighth place, friend of the show, Colin McDade. Seventh place, Anthony Vanella. Sixth place, Jack Harper. Fifth place, Malik Amin Rubio. Fourth place, Sean Naden. Brad Chester in third. John Lennon in second. And your current number one is all the way from England, Manny Chima, with 1,145 points. I'm actually curious what event probably skyrocketed him into first place it might have been the nottingham gt yeah nottingham gt as well as the coverage gt and uh the london gt and he did really well at that as well yeah he came in 20th but that's still almost 250 points though <laughs> yep so looking at those events and looking at some of the other larger events throughout the world um i'm going to assume uh conservatively that winning lvo is going to be worth 300 points and then for every place that you're behind, if, like, if you come in second, third, fourth, you're losing about 15 points. It seems to be the pattern. I don't have any, it is a proprietary formula, so I have no idea what that looks like. So looking at, you know, had we looked at this, when we looked at this about three, four weeks ago, we thought mm, if you're in the top five, you got a chance. But looking at how things have really clustered up at this point, I think anybody in the top 15 with a good run could win the whole ITC with a good performance at LVO. Yeah, like if you were in the bottom of those 15, you would have to have a a magical run of going 
nine and zero, perfect one hundreds across the board, that kind of run. And the only person, the only people that can do that are, um, I mean Matt Root is in thirteenth place, mm-hmm. so maybe he could do it. But, I'm not sure if he's playing or if he's officiating. So that's something that's interesting if he's going to make it. Yeah. Um, and but realistically, I think it is just if you're in the top ten, you can go eight and one as long as your as long as your loss is no no later than maybe round eight. So if you go. Well, if you, I said eight and one. Duh, I can do math. <laughs> so if you if you lose your la- if you lose round nine, and all your scores are still one hundreds, at that point, I think I think if everyone else performs badly, you still might be able to pull it out. Um, my my personal vote though is tossed up between John Lennon, Sean Naden, and. Honestly, at this point, it's probably Bradchester. Like, yeah. So you have an idea how close they are. So Manny's in first. Uh, John Lennon is only 14 points behind. So they're pretty much dead heat going in, especially who who goes further into the tournament. Bradchester and uh, Sean Naden need a little bit of help. They are both 40 points behind Manny at this point. So 40 points doesn't seem that much, but it gets dicey if, let's say all four of these guys make the round of 16. And then, so then it's like, okay, somebody has to, you're just going head to head at that point. Who's going to come out of this bloodbath going down a little bit further. I don't know. I have to double check if Malik Rubio is going to make the trip. He's only 62 points out of the spot. And that's your top five. Once you start dropping to the top six, now you're talking about being over a hundred points behind. So this is where you need some help. You need to get into the top eight and you need one of those guys ahead of you to really, just really botch it. Yeah. You know, you need like an Aaron A. Long, like a was it Aaron A. Long, meaning Jeff Robinson in round one type uh, <laughs> uh, pairing to help, you know, screw it up you know, a little bit. Mm-hmm. And even if you go further down, so Anthony Vanellas, he's 124 points out. Colin McDade, 132 points. Not sure if Nick Nadavati is even playing. He, I think, I believe he's commentating. Yeah. So I, I believe Nick is honestly out of the running. Yeah. Uh, Mike Costello coming on from Vanguard Tactics, being a Death Watch player, coming in at 11th. Uh, he could make some noise. Uh, I haven't seen uh, just another player who just kind of came up towards the end. Uh, I have to double check Dom Maidlow. Um, if you don't recognize that name, he's Dark Techno Don on the Real Space Raiders podcast. And he's just won some, uh, he did a really good showing at the London GG and this one, another major in England this week. Uh, but again, he's the uh, innovator behind the. Uh, test of skill and precise killers uh, custom uh, cult. So he's got a real space raid with that as a particular witch cult. So he's doing really well with that. Mike Porter is the other. That'd be by my dark horse because he's used to being on the big stage. He's he was a been number one walking into LVO. So coming in in fifteenth place, but still he's got up. 175 points is going to be really hard to overcome because you need like. You need like Brad and John Lennon to falter uh, to make that work. Yeah. And um, the like overall the uh, 
Eric. Yeah. I, I'm checking the roster. Mm-hmm. And um Mr. Porter's not gonna be there. Okay, good to know. I appreciate that. So one person while you're checking the roster is the ultimate wild card. And this is the person to watch all weekend long. Richard Siegler. All right. Let's see if I can spell his name right. Um, he is, in fact, going to be there. So the reason why I bring him up and you think, oh, yeah, fine, another Art of War guy. Here's the wild thing about Mr. Siegler. Everyone I've talked about, matter of fact, in the top 27 in the ITC have gotten six events in play. So their performance this weekend will replace their lowest score. Most of these guys, are that means they're only going to pick up a few extra points here and there. Probably 70 to 80 is on average is what we saw. Richard only has five events. So every point he earns at LVO goes directly to his score. He's only 223 points off the lead. So put that in perspective. If he wins, he gets an additional 300 points. So he goes from... 1,200, right now he's at 1,200 points. He would go all the way up to 1,500 points if he won. That would put him five points ahead of Manny Chima. Now, I have a mm-hmm. feeling Manny's going to do a little bit better and and not um, score less than five points <laughs> in the standings, but it could really knock some people around in that top 10. So it'll be really see how far he goes. Yeah, because I know when Siegler originally spawned up, I think it was for the 2019 season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he came up out of nowhere, just like event after event after event, and just claimed everything. So I'm not putting it past him to come out of the gates running, because by checking Best Coast Pairings, he's bringing Admech. Such a wild list. Yeah, I'm surprised that um, he's bringing Admech, and because it's not an army he's played all that much, but uh, he's had a few times here and there. And tell us a little bit what's in the list. Hey, listeners, this is Raymond with the Extreme Honest Podcast here to talk to you about KR cases. If you're like me and you're constantly looking for that better way to store your armies, then look no further than KR cases. That's right, this is the foam company known for their soft blue foam in the cardboard cases. They're a great way to mix and match whenever you're heading out for that next tournament. You can just swap out those boxes and no need to worry about switching the foam in and out. They're sturdy. The boxes help protect your models and if you when you order, they come fast. The order is right and for a better price than the other guy. So go to krcases.com, and when you place your order, be sure to mention the Extermination Podcast. Yes, because, by the way, everyone, um, your lists were due seven days ago. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) So at this point, it's the week of the event, and Best Coast Pairings has unhidden all of the lists. So you're able to look because your list is now locked unless you want at least one yellow card. Um, so his first attachment is a detachment of Mars. Um, he's spent a lot of CP up front. One, two, three, four, five, six of them to be exact for, I'm assuming extra warlord traits, extra relics and other things. He's, let's see, there's one engine seer, 
two marshals, a manipulus, um, two 19-man units of rangers, two units of five vanguard, um, one unit of five infiltrators, a unit of ten, and two units of eight rust stalkers. Mm. And then um, three units of individual Iron Star Bell Story and two Scorpius Disintegrators. So it's one entire detachment of Mars. So I've actually played against this list or close enough to it, and it is freakishly fast. So the two large blocks of Rangers hold down objectives in his deployment zone and sit near a marshal and just rain down fire. But that's not the thing you need to be worried about. It's those all those rust stalkers. Um, yeah, they get. I forget. There's a way to get advanced charge, and then uh, they match them up with the vanguard. So now all they do is kind of go, "Oh, are you? You're in my aura. You're now minus one strength and minus one toughness." Yeah. And as I look through the list, he is in fact running the army of renown, so the Skatari veteran cohort. So it is just, yeah, it is blend, especially like a th- um, thick city, which relies on, you know, high toughness, lots of wounds, doesn't care. You know, all those, all of a sudden, all these strength five things are wounding on threes and it just rips th- and it's so much faster. You know, it just rips through your army and there's not much left afterward. And it's also negates all your AP minus one and AP st- minus two, like all their ad mech lists do. So it's, it's pretty nasty. It's um, so be curious to see that it's not as widely seen yet. So being on the big stage, I'll be curious to see how much it takes off because realistically Admech is, you just don't see it on the tournament scene. Yeah. Cause after the, um, the flyer nerf, it definitely fell off fairly quickly, which I was rather sad about because it's always nice to see Admech on the table. It's never nice to be on the receiving end of it two 20 man brick of rangers right but um otherwise yeah no i'm i am actually excited to see siegler play adamek again because i know he started the edition with necrons and then he went to some other things then attached to adamek had a few events with Drukari, and then went and is now finishing out the season with adamek so See how he makes the run. Meanwhile, the currently in first place, Manichima is bringing a Manichima list. Oh boy, yeah, this thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> he is bringing Drakari, good old artist of flesh. You'll be able to fill in the gaps that I do not know of this because we talked about it a little bit. But um, his battalion, Drazar, and then a master succubus with um. Grave Lotus, Tolerated Ambition, Competitive Edge, uh, the Whip, and then 17, 34, 68, 85, 105 racks, if my math is right. And what the best part is, that's only the first attachment. Yes, and then the second one is also ours Flesh with a Archon, a Homunculus, and another 17, 34, 51, uh, 66 racks. Yeah. And then a quarter of the Archon with, um, <laughs> four Slith, four Urugul, and a Medusa. 
do not want to look at this list at all. I also don't. Yeah, I wouldn't want to paint it. I don't know if I would want to play it. I'm just like, okay, you did it. And Don, yes, you told me to run this list two years ago. I didn't listen. Um, Still not doing it. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) This is probably like this list is the equivalent of seeing like 300 Katachan conscripts. <laughs> yeah, or um, dumb. what was that British list? It was like all Nurglings. Oh, yeah, like it was something like 19 Nurgling basings or something, something like that. Like, like that, some yeah. stupid big number. Yeah. So, yeah, um, I, I we'll see what happens. He knows something we don't know. So, I'm just like, go for it. Uh, speaking of guys who run lists that they know something that we don't know, Sean Naden. Uh, let's take a quick look. He is bringing Jukari as well. And his is a little more, I'll just, I'll just call it the way I see it, tame. Yeah, so we do have the, the a patrol detachment of Cabal the Blackheart. Um, looks like he's spent two CP on some extra relics here. Um, it's Archon. It's a small unit of Rax with a single liquefier. One unit of Incubi, uh, one unit of Scourges, all with Shredders, and that Shard Carbine on the Sergeant, I'm guessing. Um, two Raiders, one with a Gray Launcher and one with a Shock Prow. But Dark Lances, those are important. Um, and then what's this? It's a patrol. Oh, yeah, of Drakari, that's right. They also have the Eldari keyword. Duh. Um, it's a custom cult of Stimulant Innovators and Test of Skill. Test of skill is the witch trait again. Uh, they get plus one to wound against monsters and vehicles. So against Crusher Stampede. Yep. And Stimulant Innovators is... They get to roll on the... They roll a D3 instead of a D6 on the combat drug chart and get those in addition to whatever combat drugs they're already taking. Neat. So it's a Succubus um, with Grave Lotus and precision blows the whip with an agonizer and archite glaive. Then three units of witches, pretty pretty standard stuff. Another unit of incubi, two units of ten hellions, and then a third patrol of cabal of poison tongue with another archon, drazar, a unit of trueborn, a unit, a third unit of incubi. Another unit of Scourge, and three Venoms. Yeah, that is probably the most tame Drukari list I've seen. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the uh, Poison Tongue, obviously, he's going for the redeploy. Uh, that's the key thing. So he's got, he's probably going to put all the Incubi in the um, in the characters in the uh, Venoms. Look where you pl- the deploy and go, mm, I can do something different. Uh, there's another gentleman out of... Um, Australia. He was taking a 20-man block of Hellions and uh, did very well at a recent tournament uh, right leading up to LVO. So I'd be curious if Sean was kind of looking into what they did. Uh, Hellions, they're kind of one trick. You know, they, they'll they kill whatever they touch, but they'll get killed by anything that touches them back. So they're, they're kind of like a one-shot missile. So locking a 340 points into two one-shot missiles. Okay. Um, I, I definitely would like to see how he plays it. So, 
Yeah. The um I know on the last few episodes when we've talked about who would win my um my personal favorite, my my go-to ticket of John Lennon, I thought he would bring something like um Dark Angels or something else. Mm-hmm. But no, he's actually bringing one of the books that barely made it into the cutoff day. And that's bringing custodes. Interesting. What is he bringing? So I actually looked this up and he's bringing a Emperor's Chosen detachment. So that's um, a four up feel no pain to all mortal wounds and also has a salamander reroll. Um, the first thing he's bringing is actually Voidsman at Arms, which is something from the second Octarius book. They're a, an elite choice for like 80 points. So I'm guessing a, a unit of action monkeys, I guess. Um, oh, this one's actually 40 points. It's super cheap. Holy crap. Um, well, he's bringing a shield captain on bike with um, the feel no pain uh, salvo launcher. And then he also has two. He has a second warlord trait, which is the no, it's the orc exemplar. There we go. Um, he's also bringing Trajan. Trajan is amazing. Just just getting it out there. Um, one unit of prosecutors for another action monkey. Some Sagittarium. Two units of three Sagittarium. So bolter custodes. Two Achilles dreadnoughts. So the one with the big old spear. A unit of four wardens, a two units of three Virus Praetors, all with salvo launchers, and then a Calais Grav Tank with the Arcness Heavy Blaze Cannon. The resounding trait that is this in this entire army is almost all of his shooting, aside from the Sagittarium Custodes, is D3 plus three damage. A lot of big shots. Yeah, it's a total of one, seven, at least nine. Because I can't remember if the Achilles Dreadnought's damage is in shooting or just in melee. All I know is I've lost a two, I've lost a Telemon to it before. <laughs> so it's a very small army. I can definitely tell you that. Very travel friendly. So as a Custodes player, your book dropped, what, last week? <laughs> Yep, last Saturday. So you've had seven days to put this together. Is this something... First of all, is it feasible? I mean, has the book changed that much? Um, It actually has, because the, the problem that we had last time was a lot of our really good stratagems, like Emperor's Auspice, and if you were playing Shadow Keepers, Grim Responsibility and stuff, all of that was one or two command points flat, there was no cost in chain. There was no change in cost, depending on unit size. Um, now, stuff like our chain's human is one or two command points, depending on the size of the unit. So if you are four or less, it's one. If you're over... No, if it's less than four, it's one. Oh. If it's four or more, it's two. Oh. So you can transhuman a single unit of Virtus Praetors, just four up, uh, just transhuman them, one CP, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the the Achilles Dreadnoughts are core, so they can benefit from Trajan's rerolls. 
they can also benefit from the bike captain's rerolls. My only issue is the fact that he includes the Voidsmen at arms because they're an agent of the Imperium. And Trajan specifically says that if all of your units in your army are Adeptus Custodes, excluding um, Anathema Psyker, so Sisters of Silence, and unaligned units or something, uh-huh. he gets two Warlord traits naturally. So I'm curious if I can catch him at the event and have enough time to talk about his choice of the Voidsman at Arms, because I know the Voidsman at Arms are purely there as an action monkey, and they have some ability to do mortal wounds, huh. but otherwise they are a 40-point unit of stand somewhere and do almost nothing. So yeah, they're they're dirt cheap. That's for freaking sure. Um, huh? Because I I actually think that's wrong. They they should be fifty points, not forty. Yeah, more than here, but their damage output too. Like, oh, okay. Oh no, no, I'm just bad at math. They're only eight points a body. That's okay. a minimum five man squad. So herp derp. Um, but yes, no emperor's chosen is an extremely viable sub-faction for Custodes because of the fact that we go up against orcs. Okay, you're going to ramming speed my army? Okay, I have a four-up feel no pain to all your mortal wounds. Against Thousand Suns, against Grey Knights, we're no longer relying off of a just six-up feel no pain. <laughs> we have a four-up feel no pain. Oh, I remember those days. Yeah. Uh, other f- amazing fact is Trajan now gets the shield host tag. So he gets all of the benefits. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so Emperor's Chosen is definitely a really strong choice. And because of the fact that he's taking so many small units, that reroll is going to be huge. Because that's all D3 plus 3 damage weapons. Yuck. All right. One more list to look at. And I'll be honest, going into the show... I was leaning towards this gentleman to be the favorite to finally win it. Um, he's been in the top five every year he's been to LVO, but has yet to win the event. Of course, none other than Brad Chester. So I was curious if Brad was going to bring Drakari, which is what he'd been running most of the season. Uh, of recent events, he's been flirting with Craft Worlds, which I think is interesting because there was, <laughs> what do you know about the new Codex? Apparently he... Um, Knows a little bit from his contacts, so but no, he brought a list that I think similar to what we were just talking about, John Lennon, hasn't been out too long, so not as many people have gotten any reps behind it. But whereas John's, you know, less, <laughs> literally seven days, this one's been out a few weeks and it has made a few rounds at the tournament. It's none other than Crusher Stampede Tyranids. Yep, so. We got a, we have a battalion that of Leviathan. So on top of taking advantage of the Crusher Stampede, he can have access to all of that Leviathan stuff. Um, he's taking a Neurothrope with Catalyst Onslaught, the Void Crown, which I'm assuming is some kind of casting buff, um, Alpha Leader Beast, and he has a strategic adaptation of I think that's the Alpha Leader Beast. I'm not sure. It's it's hard for me to read Tyranids sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's also taking Swarm Lord, big old forearm monster himself. 
Uh, then he's taking one, two, three units of Tyranid Warriors. One of them is... Yeah, they're all three mans. One of them is missing a... That's a really weird layout, but it's like a Lash Whip and Bone Sword and Scything Talons, and then a Devourer and Scything Talons, and then two Scything Talons, where the other ones are all just Lash Whip and Bone Swords and Talons. Um, but they all have Synaptic Link of Bioweapon Bond, which I'm assuming has something to do with the Crusher Stampede, because oh. I have yet to play it against myself, so I have no idea what that is. Um, now, the big scary thing is he has a Brick of Six Hive Guard with Enhanced Resistance. So I'm assuming that makes them obviously more durable. But yeah, no, they get to sit behind cover and shoot at you. And and then a random lictor for for action monkey stuff. We're just going to ignore the fast attack slot because diamond carrions are stupid. Mm-hmm. And, and then we get two to, of them. Yeah, that's why I said diamond carrions. <laughs> <laughs> They're stupid. Um, and then the heavy support slot, he has double scythe hero duels, which I believe is the melee variant. It's another and, big bug. Oh my god. Yeah, it's another toughness eight bug. <laughs> um, and then he has a flyer, a harpy. I never thought I would see one of these things on the table, let alone see a harridan. So <laughs> but yes, this harpy is 155 points of double strangle thorn cannons and spore mines for some reason. Yeah, another travel-friendly army, because it's all big bugs, not a lot of models, and I'm terrified, quite literally. Yeah. So, that's kind of look at some of the top players, so what they're bringing to this particular list. Of course, we'll have a complete breakdown of all the action throughout the weekend. We'll be posting that on our Facebook page throughout the weekend as well. But uh, I guess we can't dodge it too much longer. Robert, who's your pick to win LVO? Like I said, my my go-to pick for the last few months has been Mr. Lennon. I, I have a feeling he's going to take it this year. Hmm. Interesting choice. Now, I have my guts leaning towards him as well, but um, let's put it so I wouldn't be surprised if he wins it. But it's just... Oh, I was so excited to pick Brad. I, I, you know, I think I'll stick with it because I still think... Uh, Stampede Crusher list is still one of those lists that people, they know the gist of it, but they haven't played against it. And they need to get the reps in. And I don't think they had time to do so. So I hope it's not that's the case and not the opposite where it gets all played out. <laughs> and yeah. everybody knows exactly how to beat it. Yeah, but um, my my second choice to take in and win it is to finally be the bride and not be the bridesmaid is Sean Naden. <laughs> That man has come so close, but he never he never gets the cake. Maybe this is the year. We'll see. Unbelievable. So anyway, be competitive down to the very last die roll. We're very excited to to uh, dig into that all this weekend. And uh, if there's anything, other questions you might have about the scoring system, give us a jingle here. Um, you can hit us on our Facebook page. Robert, anything else we need to cover before? I know you've got a lot of painting still to do in the next couple of days. Um, in like the next two hours. Please. Okay. Um, no, no, no questions except for um, just please enjoy your hobby. Please come. It's a great time. And please listen to us. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your friends. Check it out. We do, we've been doing this now for this is our 214th episode. So got 
And uh, so far, our predictions have been pretty spot on. My f- normal formula I use for picking uh, the LVO top 10. I'm going to do a little extra work, see if I can put it out on the Facebook page and my prediction. But um, there's just so many new variables this year that I'm just, wow, it's, it's giving me second thoughts. So I can't wait to see how this game rolls out. Yep. And I'll treat it. I'll try to report my records as I win or lose and or drink beer. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. All right. Just drink responsibly. Yeah. One beer every round. It's fine. There you go. But uh, I'll be nesting here. I'll be the guy in the chair. Looking forward to it. And um, so, yeah, there we go. So from there, my name's Eric. I'm Robert. Thank you for listening to the Exterminus podcast. More coverage coming up this weekend. Talk to you soon.